Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. We sometimes judge the plans and even the intentions and goodness of God by our circumstances. But John the Apostle is a good example of how, for servants of God, even the worst situations can actually be used by God for good. Let's listen as Pastor Phil explains from Revelation chapter 1. And a lot of commentators believe what's going on here is when Israel's back is up against the wall, God is going to pour upon them a spirit of supplication, and they will petition their Messiah. They will basically humble themselves in brokenness and say, God, we can't do it. We can't do it. Don't forget... Most of Israel today is a secular nation. I mean, they talk about God, and there are Orthodox rabbis and things and people, but for the most part, they are a secular, agnostic, and many of them are atheists. And now, when it looks like the end has come and they are going to be completely destroyed, God pours in His mercy a spirit of supplication. They are broken of their pride, and they humble themselves and cry out to God, And then it says, then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Jesus is going to return. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. As they finally realize that Jesus Christ is in fact their Messiah, whom they crucified, whom they had Pilate Pierce, he wanted to let Jesus go. But it was the Jews who insisted he had him crucified. But honestly, every one of us put him on that cross. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. He died for my sins. I put him on that cross. My sins nailed him to that cross. And what kept him pinned to that cross was not the nails. It was his love. No man takes my life from me. I give it freely for the sheep. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So basically what... God is saying here is, or John is saying is that God is able to begin anything he desires and is able to finish everything he starts. He's able to begin anything he desires and is able to finish everything he starts. There is nothing hard for him. There is nothing impossible for God. Remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? It admonishes us to keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author of, And the finisher of our faith, the word author there in the Greek means originator. He is the originator and the finisher of our faith. What exactly does that mean? Well, I kind of think it means what Paul said to the Philippians. When he said to them, he who has begun a good work in you is going to see it all the way to completion. 
Has God begun a work in your life? Of course. When did that work begin? When he saved you. And what he is saying is, look, if I've started a work in your life, I'm not going to leave you half finished. I'm going to take you all the way to when I come for you and I make you completely like me because you can see me for the first time as I really am. You know, I love my dad. My dad's been with the Lord, Lord now about 16 years. And my dad was one of the most talented guys I've ever met. I mean, he could fix anything. You know somebody like that? Electronics, carpentry, automobiles. I never saw anything my dad couldn't fix. He had one small character flaw, though. And I noticed this around our home in particular. He had a tendency to start jobs, and he would get it just so it was functional and would leave it. So at any given time around our house where I grew up, there were all these unfinished jobs. And I love my dad. He's a great guy. And he worked two and three jobs to provide for his wife and five kids, so I didn't really take it. You know, I wasn't hard on him that way, but I just remember that. And I'm so thankful that our Heavenly Father isn't like that. What he's saying is, look, if you belong to me, if we've started on this journey together, you're not going to fall by the wayside. You're not going to fall through the cracks and, and get lost. I've started a work in you, and I promise you I'm going to see it all the way through to completion. What's completion? My glorified body. When I stand in his presence and I see him as he is. That's a promise from God. He is able to start anything he wants, and he's able to finish everything he starts. And I'm so thankful for that because he started something on me years ago, and I'd like to see him finish it. Although sometimes I wonder the way I'm going if, you know, how much progress there's been, but I know there's been some, and I know that he's going to continue the work. He's going to complete it. And why is he able to complete what he starts? Because he's almighty. The Greek word there is a word that means omnipotent, all-powerful, Some have translated it, the one who controls everything. That word is used ten times in the New Testament, nine times in the book of Revelation. And it's simply a word that talks about God's incredible sovereignty. How that God has his hand on everything. Nothing happens but what God is not in control. I don't know about you, but that gives me a great deal of comfort. Because when I look at this world, and honestly sometimes if I didn't believe this, that God was in control, I would honestly have to say, God, it's out of control. The world is out of control. You know, they say during World War II, there was a saying that during that period of time, the world went crazy. Well, if you think the world went crazy during World War II, wait till you see what happens under the Antichrist. I mean, it's going to be so bad, the love of many is going to wax cold. It's going to be a time when mother is going to turn on daughter, daughter on mother, father on son, son on father. A person's enemies are going to be those of their own household. It's going to be a horrible time. And if I didn't believe, and this is the, one of the great themes of Revelation, that no matter how bad things get, God is still in control. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. And nothing spirals out of his control. And what he started is going to finish. He started a work of redemption 6,000 years ago, and Christ is going to come to finish that work. I mean, we're saved, but this body is not redeemed yet. So I'm not done. I want that glorified body. I'd like it soon if 
you wouldn't mind, Lord. I mean, this one's wearing out fast. <laughs> Amen? So one of the great emphasis is, uh, on, in Revelation is on God's sovereignty, that God has his hand on everything. And in verse 9, John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation, not in the great tribulation, which he's going to talk about shortly, but in the tribulation. At this time, what was going on, as we have said last week, Emperor Domitian was persecuting violently the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, he had a God complex. He wanted to be worshipped as God the Lord. Well, for most Romans, that wasn't a problem. They could care less. They were polytheistic anyways. One more God wouldn't make any difference to them. Fine. Caesar, your Lord and God, great. Fine. But the Christians, of course, would not acknowledge that anyone was Lord but Jesus. So they took the brunt of that persecution. And John, of course, being an elder, being an apostle, overseeing the churches of Asia Minor, John also caught uh, a good part of that persecution. In fact, as we said last week, uh, church tradition says that it was Domitian that ordered John to be killed by throwing him into a pot of boiling oil. When they did, nothing happened. God supernaturally protected him. And so Domitian, so angry, decides to banish John on the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos, as I said last week, was nothing more than a volcanic rock that just jetted up out of the Aegean Sea, about 40 miles off the coast uh, of of Miletus, which is um, Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. It was um, a very barren place. No fresh water, not really any vegetation. Uh, About 10 miles long, 6 miles wide. Uh, The Romans had a penal colony on this godforsaken rock in the middle of nowhere, and they sent prisoners there to die, but before they died, they would work them in the mines. There was a mine there. I forgot what they mined, but there was a mine there. You got sent to, uh, to Patmos. It was tough. There was not enough food given to you to keep your stomach full, not enough clothes to give you to wear to keep you warm. They worked you day and night. John is in his 90s by this time. And tradition says that Domitian banished him there He spent between 18 and 24 months there from AD 94 to 96. In AD 96, Domitian died, and the next emperor allowed John to leave the island, and he went back to Ephesus where he continued to minister until he died and was buried there. But John is talking about the tribulation under Domitian, which affected all the church, but especially John's area of influence in Turkey. Now, Jesus said, in the world you will have what? tribulation. Paul told the churches of Galatia, remember, it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting that the um, word tribulation, our English word, comes from the Latin word tribulum. And a tribulum was a a heavy piece of timber with spikes on the bottom. And what they would do is they would place all the sheaves of the wheat on the ground. After they'd harvested all these sheaves of wheat, they'd place it on the ground. And then they would drag this tribulum, this heavy timber with spikes in the bottom. They would drag it back and forth. That would loose the, um, the wheat from the stalk, but it would also loose the chaff from the wheat. It would purify the wheat so they could use it for food and things. And the Bible says that God allows tribulation. Sometimes waves of tribulation 
to pass over our lives at times because God wants to separate from us the chaff, the carnality, the sin. He wants to purify us. Tribulation is good. We don't appreciate it necessarily. It's good for us because it has a way of purifying us. Uh, Wheat that was pure was wheat without chaff. A Christian who is pure is a person who has been separated from the carnality, from the things of this life, to live a life of purity and holiness to God. Tribulation has a way. One of the benefits also is it teaches us patience, but the Greek is often translated perseverance. You see it there in verse 9? I, John, brother, uh, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about he was on this island called Patmos. One of the things that tribulation has a way of doing is it produces, produces in us perseverance. The Greek word is hupomone. Sounds kind of Italian, doesn't it? Just had a big plate of hupomone the other day. No. But it, 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 the, the, the uh, Greek word, hupomone, uh, literally means to remain under. Um, it's a word, the idea is that uh, when you persevere, you don't try to crawl out from underneath the trial. You hang in there until you achieve your goal, if that's to learn how to be a better Christian, or if it's to learn how to just persevere through a, through a difficult time where you're not bailing out and giving up. A lot of young Christians, you know, they think that when they get saved, because God allows this honeymoon period for a while, they think that's the way it should be all the time. And isn't that honeymoon period a neat time? Those, what, you know, I don't know, three or four hours or, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes it could be, you know, several months where Christians are just so high on the Lord. Everything is easy. I mean, you don't have to tell me to pray. I'm praying all the time. You don't have to tell me to be in the Word. I got the Word right there. I'm pulling it out. You know, I'm waiting to pay for my groceries. I got the Word out. I'm in church all the time. Boy, it's easy. It's great. Then God slowly begins to move the, the, the barrier away and lets the devil kind of get at you a little bit here and there. He does that because he has to toughen us up. I mean, we put soldiers who join the armed services, we put them through boot camp. Why? They have to get toughened up. We have to be toughened up. We're soldiers for Christ. He is the captain of our salvation. And he lets us have that honeymoon period, but then he begins to work to allow us to face hardships and trials and tribulations because they purify us and they teach us how to hang in there and not give up and not run away when things get rough, but to hang in there and see it through. Would to God we had more saints in the church in America who didn't believe that it's all about how much God blesses me. That's what Christianity is all about. How much God is going to bless me. How about how much you're going to bless God? I mean, how, how about what you do for His glory? That, as I read my Bible, that's what really Christianity is all about. Taking up my cross, denying myself, following after Jesus who said, I have not come to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. That's what it's all about. But we need to learn to hang in there. We need to learn to not bail out when things get rough and begin to blame God and say, well, God, you know, you don't love me and you've let me down and 
And, and, and there are Christians who say the most ridiculous things about the Lord because in their minds he hasn't come through for them. I'm not quite sure what they were promised when they received Christ. I, I'm not sure what Bible they're reading. Just read Hebrews 11 called the Great Hall of Faith, showcasing some of the greatest examples of faith in the history of God's people. And read how many of them were driving Cadillacs. How many of them owned palatial mansions? I mean, they were destitute, tormented, afflicted. They lived in caves. They wore sheepskin, goatskin. They were sawn in two. They were persecuted. They were mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy This isn't our home. We're just passing through. Don't expect the world to applaud you as you pass through this life. Look at what they're doing to poor Jerry Falwell's memory. It is absolutely reprehensible what people are saying on the Internet about this man. I believe we've lost a good man. He was not always a popular man. But I respect the man who stands up and speaks the truth in these dark days like a John the Baptist. We need more men and women like that. Oh, if you didn't think, I mean, we know that Jesus said, look, if the world hates you, excuse me, if the world hated me, no, this is going to hate you also. I've known that ever since I got saved that Jesus said that. But when you see this kind of thing, you begin to really see the amount of hatred. When I read some of these um, blogs written against his memory, the God-awful things that are being said, the vitriol, the hatred, the venom, it just says to me, Lord, you are so right. This world absolutely hates you and those who claim to belong to you, who dare stand up in the darkness to be a light. There are many people who believe that in verse 9, when Paul says he was, uh, excuse me, when John said, He was on the island of Patmos uh, for the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. There are many people who believe what John is saying is that he was thrown into prison there on Patmos because he was faithfully declaring the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's why he was there. Domitian didn't like that. And so he had John banished to this rock. And I think that that was part of it. That was partly true, at least from a man's perspective. But the Greek could also be interpreted this way, that John knew he was on this island because God wanted to give him the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ in the form of the book of Revelation. I'm not sure if John knew that immediately or if after a time God kind of revealed that to him, but it's obvious that by the time that John wrote this, He understood that God, you know, what did uh, Jacob say? You meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good. Never forget that. It doesn't matter how people treat you or unbelievers persecute you. Whatever they intend for evil, God can and will use for good. Domitian, he meant evil towards this godly servant of God. God allowed it because he had work for John yet to do. God wasn't finished with John. He had one more book to write. And John eventually realized he was on that island for no other reason than to receive this revelation. 
in his deepest, darkest moment of isolation and, and depression, probably, working all day in the mines over 90 years old, probably wishing he would drop dead. And yet God continuing to keep his heart beating. John realized at one point, I am here for a purpose. God is not finished with me yet. There are times in our lives when God will put us through what I'll call periods of sanctified loneliness, periods of sanctified separation and isolation, listen, for the purpose of revelation. And I'm not saying he's going to necessarily stick you out in some rock in the middle of the ocean to get you isolated. You might walk into a room full of people and feel so lonely and alone and isolated. You might have just gone through a difficult breakup with a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a spouse, and right now you're feeling very alone, isolated, lonely. It's a miserable place to be in, in some respects. Some have called it the dark night of the soul. We just feel so alone, so isolated. But know this, you are not alone in the sense that many, many men and women of God who have gone before you, and even who are around you at this point, have gone through similar things. I mean, some of the greatest revelations in the Scriptures have come from times of great isolation and loneliness. I mean, it was when Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert that God eventually appeared to him in a burning bush and commissioned him for the work of being a great deliverer to deliver God's people out of Egypt. It was when Jacob, through his own conniving, that's true, it's interesting that even when we blow it and cause ourselves to be isolated, maybe you were the cause of your marriage breaking up. Maybe it was unfaithfulness, I don't know. But now you find yourself alone. It doesn't mean that God can't forgive, and it doesn't mean that God can't even use the circumstance in some way to teach you. I think of Jacob. How through his own conniving and scheming, he was now running from his brother Esau, running for his life. Found himself in the wilderness one night, all by himself. Pulled up a rock, used it for a pillow. And it was there that God gave him a great revelation of a ladder that extended from the earth to heaven with angels going up and down on this ladder. And when Jacob awoke, he called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. For he said, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. When you're going through a time of severe loneliness and isolation, you're just feeling like even God has forsaken you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. You may feel that way, but that's just the devil. You've got to fall back in the word of God. God is in that place, wherever you are, because he said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. So wherever you are, God is there with you. You just have to realize that. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us always, even to the end of the age. And I, I think of David. When David was running from Saul for those 10 years and spent most of that time in the wilderness of Judea, it was there that, there that he wrote most of the Psalms that we all rely on when we're going through difficult times to bring us comfort. And the same is true with Paul. The same is true with John. I guess what I'm trying to say is there is always a lesson in the loneliness I'm not talking about self-imposed loneliness or isolation. Some people are weird. They don't want to be around anybody else. You know, they're, they're, they're holding up in their own house. It's, they're, they're isolating themselves from the body of Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God-ordained times 
of loneliness, where you feel isolated and alone. Learn the lessons of, of loneliness. Kind of embrace it. Because I guarantee you, if you look for him, Jesus Christ will come to you. I mean, I'm not saying he'll come to you visibly, but he'll come to you through the word. He'll come to you through another believer who will give you words of encouragement. It's all designed that you might understand how much he loves you, how much he's with you, that you might come away from that experience with a deeper and more intimate knowledge of him. That's what he's, it's all about. And so John, on that island, feeling alone, forsaken, isolated, lonely, Jesus Christ gives to John the greatest revelation that we have in the New Testament, I believe. And I believe God wants to reveal himself to all of us in deeper ways if we will be still and know that I'm God. You know, quit running around like a crazy person where God can't even get your attention. Sometimes he brings the tribulation just to get us to stop and get on our knees a little bit so he can talk to us and reveal himself to us more fully. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said for me.